I hope you have your Matthew journal. Uh, if you have not picked up one, we've already given out over 750 of them. Isn't that incredible? Uh, we've got some more. They're on the tables in the front for you, the tables in the back for you. Uh, we have them in the office. And so uh, if you're watching online, need one, you can come by and call the office and we'll uh, bring one out to you. We'd be happy to do that. Uh, remember that in a couple of weeks, there will be a pop quiz. All right. We're going to start the sermon with a pop quiz. And you go, why? And the answer to that is because I want you to get to know Jesus. Uh, the whole series uh, on uh, Matthew is about getting to know Jesus. And the questions are going to be real simple. What chapter has the genealogy of Jesus? Anybody want to guess? I hope you're going, I don't have to guess. Chapter 1, yeah. Which one has the birth of Jesus? Chapter 1. Which one has the Magi? Chapter 2. Which one has the, John, the baptism of John? Chapter 3. Which one has the Sermon on the Mount? You'll have to come next week to find that one out. Okay, all right. But anyway, we're just going to have some fun. And, and the purpose is by the end of the summer, I hope that all of us will have this incredible knowledge of the, of the life of Jesus. So that if anybody asks you, you know, where do I find the feeding of the 5,000 that Steve talked about today? Well, how about Matthew chapter 14? By the way, let me give you a little hint. 14, 5,000. 15, 4,000. Isn't that a neat little way to remember that one? That was always stuck in my head. And, and, and so over time, you'll develop this incredible knowledge of the life of Jesus. Our series is entitled As You Go. This is based on a passage in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. And we're in a se session looking at the gospel of Matthew. We, we spent January looking at Jonah in a series that we called What Happens When You Lose Your Mission. And now we're looking at what it is to be a follower of the master disciple maker. And I appreciate, Blake, those last two songs. Wonderful. You know, let's follow him. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Stephen Covey wrote in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the main thing, again, for Christians is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. This is out of the ISV. Therefore, as you go, disciple people in all the nations. And, and we want to find out, how do you do that? And, of course, we're going to learn from Jesus himself. Now, last week we ended with this verse. And as I mentioned last week, the baptism of Jesus is one of the most important stories in all of Scripture. It is the quintessential example, paradigm. It, it, it is how we become a child of God by following Jesus into the waters of baptism, based on our faith and repentance, being anointed by His Holy Spirit and declared by God to be one of His children. Notice what God said, this is my beloved son, this is the son I love, with whom I am well pleased. I want to call your attention especially to that, this is my beloved son. Because when you get into chapter 4, it's going to be the subject topic right off the bat. Oftentimes we don't connect the two. I mean, we come to the end of a chapter and we say, okay, chapter three's gone, let's start in chapter 2. Matthew didn't write chapters, he didn't write verses. He simply wrote his gospel. And so the first readers would have recognized that the flow continues from chapter 3 into chapter 4. Now, a side note on this one, this is a fulfillment of Psalm 2. 
the, the, the first of the great messianic psalms, of where a royal psalm applying to David as God's son also applies to David's son, the Messiah. I will tell of the, of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, I want you to remember that verse. Because that verse is going to play off the next story we run into. Now, as we go into chapter 4, chapter 4 is made up of two parts, basically. Number one, we have the temptations of Jesus. In fact, I could probably go around the room and, and many of you could tell me the three temptations of Jesus. And it begins with the temptations of Jesus. It then moves to the end of the chapter to Jesus' call to discipleship. He's going to call Peter, Andrew, James, John, and he's going to say, follow me. And these two are two of the most important topics that, that Matthew's talking about. Because coming up out of the waters of baptism, the first thing you're going to have to deal with is Satan. Satan's going to come after you. He's going to stay after you. And Jesus is going to illustrate right after his baptism, how do you deal with the accuser? How do you take him on? And we're going to look at that here in just a moment. And then, after dealing with the sin problem, and of course Jesus didn't have a sin problem, he had a temptation problem, but he dealt with that, we're going to move to the call of discipleship and ask a very simple question. Have you heard the call? All right, let's dive in. Matthew 4, verses 1 and 2, ESV. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, here we go. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is the Spirit has just come upon Jesus, and the first thing the Spirit does, it says it's time to take Satan on. So let's go out into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness for Israel was a place of testing. Forty days and forty nights of fasting reminded people of Moses. It reminded people of the forty years Israel had spent in the wilderness being tested by God. You get all of this incredible Old Testament symbolism being woven into the text. And so Jesus goes out and fasts for forty days and forty nights. Now, folks, I don't know if you saw in the news this last week. But there was a preacher who decided to try and do this. He thought Jesus, without any help whatsoever, fasted from water. You can't go 40 days without water. This preacher tried to. Anybody want to guess what happened to him? He died. Y'all saw the news. You know, it's okay to follow Jesus. But you better understand what Jesus did. Okay? So Jesus goes out into the wilderness, and after 40 days and 40 nights, the tempter, the accuser, the devil himself comes to Jesus, and I want you to notice the first thing he says to him. If you are the Son of God. Y'all, that's verse 3 of chapter 4, playing off the last verse of chapter 3, where God said, you are my son. You are the son whom I love. And right off the bat, what does the devil do? He wants you to question that. Are you? If you are, and then here he goes. And, and that's the first simple lesson I want you to realize. When you become a child of God, the devil's going to come after you. You see, if you're not a child of God, he already has you. I mean, the people in the world who have not accepted Jesus are already in Satan's corner. Now, they may not realize it, 
But they're already there. But when we become children of God, Satan's like, no, 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 they're mine. And he's going to do everything he can to pull us back into his reign and rule. And that's what he does when he goes after Jesus. Here's what we hear. If you are a son or a daughter of God, that's what he says to us. Now, we may not actually hear the words like Jesus did, but boy, that's what Satan is trying to do. So be aware of that. Just because you're baptized doesn't mean this force field comes around you and Satan no longer can come after you. That's not what's going on at all. Satan doubles up to come after those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus. So the tempter came and said, if you're the son of God and you have the first temptation, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. It's an understatement to say, and he was hungry, right? I mean, y'all, I can go four hours without eating. And June says, are you hungry? I go, of course, right? Man alive. I mean, you know, are you hungry? Yes. You know, and here's Jesus, 40 days. Are you hungry? Of course I'm hungry. Then tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And, of course, the temptation is very simple. Use the power I have given you for you, not for others, not for God. Focus on you. And that's the first of the temptations of Satan. If he can get us just to focus on what we want, not what God wants, what we want. Then, boy, we're, we're taking that first step and going back into his rule and his reign. Now, Jesus responded very simple. It is written. You may tell you why this little book is so important. Because this is the key to walking with God. This along with the other 65 books that, that are in the Bible. Jesus understood that the way you overcome the, the attack of, of the, the, the accuser is that you prepare yourself with the word of God. And so he begins quoting, and, and in the temptation narrative, all three of them are from the book of Deuteronomy. What may have been one of Jesus' favorite books, Moses' last sermon before he died. Psalm 119.11, the great song about the power of the word of God says, I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Do you remember any, any little parables, any little sayings your mom and dad gave you when you were a teenager? I mean, I, I think all of us who have parented kids and been parented by our parents, we remember those little sayings. One of my mom's was, you'll pay for your raising. I mean, she used to say that. One of these days, you're going to pay. For... She always said that when she was mad at me, you know. And I remember after I got older, I said, Mom, I don't only pay for my raising. I pay for my, bit, my brothers, my sisters, you know, some of my cousins. I mean, this is not right. You know, but you'll pay for your raising. The one June and I used to tell our boys every time they'd go out, both of our boys was, remember who you are and remember whose you are. I mean, that was the most important thing. Remember who you are, you're, you're, you're a chapman. You, 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 you do something bad, it's going to reflect not just on you, but your, your siblings. It's going to re reflect on your, your parents, your grandparents. Remember who you are and then whose you are. You belong to God. And then John Michael, what was my other saying I told my boys? Don't do, don't do anything stupid. I mean, you, you want to talk about what gets you in trouble is stupid things. And, and we all can acknowledge that. You look back on your life and you're like, you know, why did I get in trouble 
wrecking my car on that night on that stretch of road? And, of course, the answer was because I was going so fast, I couldn't navigate the curve. I did something stupid. And so don't do anything stupid. Well, the Word of God operates as our Heavenly Father, giving us sayings. Sayings that if we take the Word of God and we learn it and we memorize it and we make it a part of who we are, as soon as Satan comes, one of those sayings all at once pops up in our head and we go, no. And the answer is very simple. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the bread of God. That's what we need if we're going to live. So physical bread, yeah, you have to have it. But it's never greater than the bread of God's word that we all need, which ultimately, of course, as Steve Barber said this morning, is Jesus himself. So the devil, table, uh, the devil takes him to Jerusalem, sets him on the very pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Now, Satan gets smart really quick. Jesus quoted scripture, so Satan thinks, I'll quote scripture. And so he quotes from Psalm 91, 11 and 12. It is a... A royal psalm talking about God's protection of his king, including the Messiah. How that God will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Is that true? Yes, it's true. In fact, if you go to the end of this pericope in Matthew chapter 4, guess who shows up to help Jesus? The angels do. Angels come and minister to him. God's promise is true. That's not the problem, however. The problem is, standing on the pinnacle of the temple, you need to ask yourself a very simple question. Am I going to trust God, or am I going to tempt God? That's the question you've got to answer. God's promised to take care of me. Now, I'm going to see if he's going to do it by simply walking over here and stepping off, you know, the pinnacle of the temple. Is that going to prove God's trust? By the way, the psalmist says, I've never seen the righteous go hungry. Well, I think I'm righteous. I'll just quit my job. I'll get my wife to quit her job, and we'll just see if the church takes care of us. And you know what? We might first week or two. Then when we find out you're not working anymore, and the reason you're not working is you want to test God, even the church is probably going to go, ah, you probably need to, you know, get you a sign, go down to Rivergate. Y'all know where this is going, right? And see what the world does for you. Satan himself, Paul said, disguises himself as an angel of light. He can quote scripture, but he doesn't apply it appropriately. And Jesus fires back from Deuteronomy 6.16. Yes, but it's also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Trust him. Don't test him. And then he takes him to a very high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said, all of these I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Luke gives a very interesting little side note to that. To you I'll give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I'll give it to whom I will. Was the world at that time under Satan's authority? Yes. But the reason Jesus came was to destroy the work of the devil, and he was going to come back and wrestle literally every kingdom away from him and eventually destroy the last enemy of death itself. And so Satan's temptation was, I can give it to you without a cost. Wink, wink. Just fall down and worship me. You see, if you go back to that Psalm 2 text that we looked at at the very beginning, look at the next verse. 
The Lord said to me, you're my son. Today I've begotten you. And then look at what he says. Ask of me. I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possessions. I'll give you it all. But it will go through the cross and through the grave and through the resurrection. It will cost you, Jesus, your very life. And Satan says, yeah, I'm not going to ask you to go to a cross. Yeah, but you're asking him for his life. And so Jesus' response was very simple. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, the word of God. What a powerful response. And I love this, be gone, Satan. And the devil leaves him. And I'm reminded of what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said. No doubt knowing this story, referring to this story. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. That's what Jesus just did. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Brothers and sisters, lesson number two, and can I just ask you to do this this week? Put up a fight. Man alive. Satan comes at us, and we just throw up the white flag, and we surrender, and God goes, Really? I mean, can't you just put up a fight? And let me tell you, when we put up a fight, Satan cannot win. It is that simple. Man, we've been watching for the last year as Russia has rolled into Ukraine thinking they will not put up a fight. And Ukraine has put up a fight against the mighty bear. And here we are. And let me tell you something. The Russian-Ukraine war has nothing to do with a battle between Satan and us, I mean, you want to talk about who's on our side? It's God himself. It's the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Put up a fight. And so we have Jesus leaving the wilderness. And after he had heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew from Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went to live in Capernaum. Fascinating little note that he slips in here. Matthew's so concerned about fulfilling Old Testament prophecy that he says this was what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light is dawned. Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. You and I read that and go, okay, what in the world's going on here? There's a restaurant here in Middle Tennessee called Martin's Barbecue. Martin's Barbecue is special for those of us who went to Freed Hardeman because it's based on a little restaurant out in the middle of nowhere, outside of Freed Hardeman, Henderson, Tennessee, called Jack's Creek. Jack's Creek Barbecue is what Martin's Barbecue is all about. The beginner of it said, man, this is great. And for those of us who know that story, we're going to go eat Martin's Barbecue because of our loyalty to Jack's Creek. There's another little restaurant that was started by the same owner called Hugh Babies. Anybody ever eat Hugh Babies? A few of you have. There's one down on Galton Road, another one out, I think, on Charlotte Pike. There's several of them in town. Most people don't realize that Hugh Babies, Hugh Baby is the name of a person. Happens to be the father of a dear friend of mine. And when the owner of Martin's Barbecue got ready to start his restaurant, he called up his uncle, Hugh who was called Hugh Baby by all of his friends, Hugh. We got another Hugh right down here. And he said, Uncle Hugh, do you mind if I name a restaurant after you? I want to call it Hugh Baby's. 
Now, you see, me knowing the story makes that story a much better story. Why is Zebulun, Naphtali, or Naphtali, why are those so important? Well, if you go back and just look at where they were at, where was Nazareth? It was in Zebulun. Where was Capernaum? It was in Naphtali. It was Isaiah's way of saying one of these days, little villages in these two different tribes are going to see this incredible light that we know as Jesus Christ. Fulfilling the prophecies of God. Just a little note. Matthew throws in, but it's powerful. And then we have the last section. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, I saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, we know the rest of the story, at least part of it. But as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if you're like me, this is kind of the way this story looks. This is from an 18th century artist, James Tissot. And, and you see Jesus up there, and I don't know about you, but don't he look kind of like a ghost? He's all white, and he's kind of walking on the sea, and he's holding up his hand doing this. And you got Peter and Andrew out in the water, and they're looking up going, I don't know who this guy is, and I don't know what he's up to, but he wants us to follow him. Let's go. You know, I, I just have always thought that's the weirdest thing. If you're reading Matthew, that's all you get. But if you go to John, the rest of the story. John says, that's not the way it happened at all. He said, can I tell you the way it happened? Did Andrew, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John just mysteriously, you know, strangely follow some unknown rabbi, leaving their jobs and family to follow this guy named Jesus? Is that what happened? And the answer is no. John chapter 1 says, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. John's down in the wilderness of Jordan. He's baptizing people. He has disciples. You want to guess what the name of two of his disciples were? The two right here is John, the apostle, and Andrew, Peter's brother. And by the way, Peter's there. Philip's there. Bartholomew's there. Matthew had been down there. In fact, all the apostles of Jesus had been baptized and made disciples of John. You turn to Acts chapter 1, you'll actually see that. And, and so when Jesus goes, notice what the text says. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, John and Andrew, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And when he did that, he basically said to Andrew and John, Follow him. And they did. Jesus saw them follow him said, What do y'all want? Where are you staying? Come and see. And they spent the afternoon with Jesus. Andrew immediately runs, and notice what he says. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said, We found the Messiah! How do you know that? John told us he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You need to come and meet him. And of course he comes and meets Jesus, and Jesus says, You're Simon, you'll be called Peter the Rock. And then he calls Philip, and he calls Bartholomew. And then Satan drives him into the wilderness. And Peter and Andrew and James and John and the other guys go back up north because they've got to get back to work. They go back to fishing. And then after the temptation, 40 days had passed, and Jesus travels back up into Galilee, however long that takes. The whole time, what do you think Peter and Andrew is talking about? 
They're talking about Jesus. What do you think James and John is talking about? You think he's the Messiah? I think he is. John said he was. John's preparing the way for the Lord. Surely he knows. And these guys are just, they're reading their scriptures. They're, they're meditating on what the prophets were saying. And they're just wondering, is he the man? And then all at once he shows up. And guess what he says to them? Follow me. And boy, they're just like, yes. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. The Messiah has finally arrived. And boy, do they follow him. And he says, and I'll make you fishers of men. And it's this call of discipleship that God calls us to. It's important that we just don't read over this too fast. I want you to notice the first thing he said, follow me. Follow me. Lesson number three, there's more to following Jesus than simply obeying the gospel and getting saved. We've come through a whole literal hundred years where evangelical Christianity has basically said the most important thing is getting saved. And while being saved is important, don't get me wrong. Becoming a child of God is the beginning of the journey, not the end. And so many times people were simply encouraged, pray the sinner's prayer, accept Jesus in your heart, you'll have eternal life, and that was the end of the story. And if that's the end of the story, there is no story. We've got to ask ourselves, did we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and get saved, or did we answer the call of following Jesus? Because they immediately left their nets and followed him. I mean, the call was so powerful that they were willing to leave their jobs. And by the way, I, I, I want us to be honest. Are there some of us that need to leave our jobs to follow Jesus? I'm not talking about following Jesus as, as a disciple maker, staying with him three years like Peter and Andrew and James and John did. I'm talking about following Jesus that demands that we no longer live or work in an area that is incompatible with what he's calling us to be. I don't know how many times in my ministry I've heard mostly guys, but I suspect some of you ladies the same way, of where you compartmentalize your life and you basically say, you know what, my Christianity is over here, my job is over here, and in my Christianity, I have to ignore my job because I cannot do my job in a Christ-like way. And so I have to do my job over here, and then on Sundays I'll be a Christian. Brothers and sisters, if you're in a job that you cannot live for Jesus Christ in everything that you do, it's time for you to follow Jesus. I'm sorry, there is no such thing as a job that cannot be performed in a Christian way, and if it is, a Christian doesn't need to be a part of it. I get so tired of people saying, I can't always act like a Christian in my job. Then get out of your job. Because otherwise, you're going to get out of your Christian walk. And by the way, it's just not our jobs. Notice what uh, uh, James and John did. Not only did they leave their nets in the boats, but they left their father. Now, is that significant? You know, I, I would like to think Zebedee became a follower of Jesus. The Chosen series does a good job staying, doesn't it? Kind of making Zebedee, you know, one of these big supporters of Jesus. We don't know that from Scripture. We know that Zebedee's wife followed Jesus. We, we don't know anything about Zebedee. But sometimes we have to recognize that not only do we have to leave a job, but sometimes we have to leave a family, a person, a friend, someone who compatibility with Jesus is simply not possible. 
And so I ask you a question. Is there a person you need to leave in order to follow Jesus? I don't know how many times in my ministry, again, I've had people say, well, if, if I become a follower of Jesus, I say that my parents were not saved, or I say that my grandparents were not, you know, going to go to heaven, and they just feel this incredible guilt that won't allow them to follow Jesus because of their love for their parents or grandparents. I get that, but it's not right. Jesus calls us to love him more than anybody else, and that's what we need to do. And he says, and I will make you. If you follow me, I will make you. Discipleship is not about us. Discipleship is about Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Appreciated Steve's prayer. John Mike has challenged all of us not to just pray in the name of Jesus, but to pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says pray in the Spirit on all occasions. We need to do that. It's the power of the Spirit of God that makes our prayers real. Jesus is the one who transforms us through the power of the Spirit into who he wants us to be. Let God do his work. Matthew eleven twenty nine. take my yoke, follow me. And then notice what he says, and you'll learn from me. I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and you'll find rest. That last phrase right there is so important. You'll find rest. There is something in all of us yearning for something more than what this world has to offer. And people oftentimes try to fill that emptiness with drugs and alcohols and addictions of all kinds. They try to fill it up with a job that consumes their lives or even good things like family. And yet nothing can quite fill that emptiness except God himself. And Jesus said, if you'll learn from me, you'll find the rest you're looking for. And then he finally says, and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus wants us to continue his mission and ministry. He ends the chapter with a beautiful little verse here. And he went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing. Every disease, every affliction among the people. Now, I know that we can't heal like Jesus did. But let me tell you something. There is a tremendous amount of healing that takes place in this church every week. Those of us in the medical profession, you continue the ministry healing of Jesus. Those of you in the counseling profession, you continue the healing ministry of Jesus. Those of us who work in our medical equipment ministry, you continue the healing of Jesus. Last Wednesday, I'm sitting there getting ready to go to my car. A car pulls up. Lady gets out. She says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. I said, what can I help you with? She said, are you the church that has this ministry that helps people with medical equipment? I said, absolutely. She said, where in the world did y'all get that idea? I said, Jesus, okay, kind of threw her off, I think, you know. And she says, this is incredible. Somebody told me about this. This lady, she's not even from Hendersonville, but she works for our family up here. And she said, I've just heard about it. I said, you want to see it? She said, can I? I drove her around. I broke into our medical ministry. I showed her around. She said, can I have that, that? And I said, no, you have to come back, go through the proper channels. But we are here to serve. She said, this is absolutely incredible, and it is. God's called us to heal, to preach, to teach. Brothers and sisters, it's time we do it. And so as we go this week, read Matthew 5. You already know that. Pray for those who don't know Jesus in our town and in our county. Put up a fight. This week, make it a determination that those sins that so easily entangle you that the Hebrew writer talked about in Hebrews 12, they're not going to entangle you anymore. And then this week, I want you to be honest. Did you just get saved? 
Or are you truly following Jesus? And if you need to follow Jesus, we've got elders who are going to be going to the walls right now. Some of their wives are going to be joining them. There'll be some upstairs. You'll see the elders, if y'all head that way that night, right now, tonight, right now, if you'll head that way right now, if you've got a need of any kind, you want, a, you want prayers, you want baptism, you just let them know and they will minister to you. You can do that right now. Together we stand and sing.